Good morning. Very thankful to be here. Uh, love y'all very much. I've had good experiences. Uh, uh, so many good, dear, loving experiences with y'all. and uh, Was very happy to get the invitation. Uh, I'm going to make... I'm going to go to a couple passages, make some introductory remarks, and then we'll get into uh, the main subject, if you will. I'm just one of those people, preachers, that I just got to get whatever's on my mind, out of my mind. I feel like the Lord put it there for a reason. You know, uh, I learned that a long time ago. If the Lord gives you something, you give it to the people that you're supposed to be giving it to. So, uh, first of all, let's go to Revelation chapter 4 real quick. Uh, on the way over here this morning, we... Uh, passed a sign that said Jesus is the reason. And uh, you know, it didn't say anything after that. Uh, I've seen a lot of signs this uh, week or this month saying Jesus is the reason for the season. I appreciated the fact that they said Jesus is the reason. Right. You know, Jesus just ain't the reason for December, amen? <laughs> you know, I mean, he's the reason we're going to heaven. He's the reason we're here today. Brothers and sisters, he's the reason we do what we do. Go me over to Revelation chapter 4 real quick. Uh, look what they are singing praises to Jesus about in heaven. Thou art worthy, O Lord, Revelations 4 and 11. Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power. For thou hast created all things, and for thy pleasure they are and were created. You know, there's a lot of people who get paid a lot of money uh, to try to philosophize and figure out what the reason of our existence is. The Word of God just told us what the reason, what the purpose of our existence is. You know what it is? It's to please God. People don't want to hear that. You know, I hear people say all the time, why am I here? What am I supposed to please God? And that kind of piggybacks onto this, and I'll get this out of the way. I did not come here to say this to y'all, but, but the Lord put this on my mind. So go me over to Matthew chapter 6 real quick, and then we'll get to talking about Jesus a little more. But go me over to Matthew chapter 6. We're going to read about 14 verses here. <clears throat> Verse 19. It says, lay not up for yourselves. We're going to read off. We're going to read 14 verses. I'm just going to make a comment about these. Lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth, where moth and rust doth corrupt, and where thieves break through and steal. What that's saying is, do not make the main thing in your life about stuff. Brothers and sisters, I, I want the young people to understand this. I want the middle-aged people to understand this. And the older people already get this, okay? The, 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 the older I get, the, the, the more I realize this. Look, the more stuff you get ain't going to make you happier. I remember being a kid and saying, man, if I just had a swimming pool. <laughs> and then I got older, and you, and you know what I said? If I just had a swimming pool. And then when me and my wife were looking for houses in Irwinville, and, 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 and you know what we said? We know we can't afford it. But if we could just get a swimming pool. And then we went to this one house. 
And I'm going to tell you, it looked like it was decorated by a schizophrenic. I mean, and 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 I'm talking about by by a no uh, what's the word? Uh, no matching schizophrenic. I'm talking about every room was just like wild, and and we're looking at it and we're like, uh, no. And then we walk onto the patio, and guess what they had? A swimming pool. And you know what we said? We're going to buy this house. <laughs> and guess what? <laughs> Brothers and sisters, if, if you were to ask me if there's one material thing in this world that you have that would make your life just better, you know what I would have told you? I, I mean, this is going to sound stupid to some of y'all, but I would have said a swimming pool. We still got problems. <laughs> you know, I mean, that didn't solve our problems. Now we got pool bills, you know, but... <laughs> but but what I want you to tell you, no matter what you, look, read, please read Ecclesiastes. The end of it says, vanity is vanity, all is vanity. He says, I had every tree, I had every fruit, I had the best singers, I had the best servants, I had pools. But it's all nothing. It's nothing. And then he says, let's hear the conclusion of the matter. <clears throat> Fear God and keep His commandments. I, I, I don't know how big a buck you've killed, Brother Dusty, but you probably like me. I said, man, if I, if I kill me an eight point, all right. And then you get an eight point, and you're like, I want a ten point. I want a twelve point. Now I want a moose. Right? <laughs> I remember gator hunting, right? I say, if I could just get a 10-footer, i kill an 11-footer. I'm like, if I could just get a 12-footer. And then I get a 12-footer. I'll kill a 12-foot alligator. And then I say, what's the record? <laughs> I mean, brothers and sisters, stuff and things in this world is not where fulfillment is. Fulfillment is in seeking after God. I'm going to tell you what, trucks are going to break down. Motors are going to blow up. <sighs> Toilets are going to leak. You know, hot water heaters are going to bust. But I'm going to tell you, the, the, the joy and fulfillment of the Spirit of God never goes away. That's where it's all at. And I can just skip all the rest of it. We'll just go down to the 33rd verse. Y'all go back and read. And, and, and basically he's saying, do not stress yourself out about the things of this world. Don't worry about your clothing. Don't worry about what you're going to eat. And put me first. And by the way, this does not say, don't think that you're not going to have to eat. Don't think you're not going to wear clothes. I mean, the Bible talks about being modest, you know. Uh, uh, don't think that you're not going to have to work. The Bible teaches you that a man, if a man doesn't work, he ought not to eat. I'm going to tell you, if you put God first in your life, all those other things are going to be taken care of because God tells you to do those things. And, 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 and here the Lord says, seek ye first the kingdom of God. I'm going to tell you, uh, sometimes we think that only says, seek ye only. And we're like, well, we can't do that. And then we don't even try to do it. It says, seek ye first. I'm going to tell you, everything that you and I do should be filtered through the lens of is this putting God 
I was working in a bar. Would me continuing working in a bar be putting God first in my life? I'm going to tell you, I've dated women in the past. I found out that they uh, didn't want to go to church every Sunday. Would me marrying one of them be filtering my life through putting God first? Brothers and sisters, I'm going to tell you, people are scared to say this today because we act like, we act like, oh no, if we, if we say something like this, uh, 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 people will quit coming to church. Brothers and sisters, if you love the Lord, marry somebody who loves the Lord. And I'm not putting people down who married somebody who didn't love the Lord. My mama, and you can ask my wife, I love my mama and I think she's the best woman in the entire world. She married an atheist. And that wreaked havoc in her life. When she wanted to have brothers and sisters over, the way that a lot of y'all do, she couldn't do it because the head of her household hated Christians. I was brought up to hate the church because of who my mama married. Whenever she made a decision to get married, she did not seek ye first the kingdom of God. And I want to tell you, we need to teach our children. If you love the church and you believe the church is the true house of the living God, you marry somebody else who feels the same way about the church of God. I'm not saying you only have to date primitive Baptists, but I'm going to tell you, brothers and sisters, whenever you get married, if they're not a member, they need to be getting really close to it. Because y'all know, y'all know what Paul jeopardized his life for? Not so people would be more godly, but so people would know that Jesus Christ died for their sins. He says, I've endured all things for elect's sake, so that they may obtain the salvation which is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. He said, they may also receive the salvation which is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. They're elect. He says they have eternal glory, but I got beat. I got shipwrecked. I got whipped so that they would be saved from thinking that they were going to hell because they couldn't fulfill the law. I'm going to tell you, every child of God has a conviction of sin. When I didn't even know the name of Jesus as my Savior, I had a conviction of sin and I felt like I was going to go to hell because Christ lived in me and showed me and the Spirit of God showed me what a horrible person I was by nature. But I want to tell you, when I heard the true gospel of Jesus Christ, the true good news, I didn't feel like I was going to hell anymore. You know why? Because I found out that Jesus paid it all. And all to Him I owe. And you know what? Whenever I heard the true gospel, I was saved from ignorance. That's the salvation which is in Christ Jesus. I was saved from despair. And I was saved from misery. Paul says, if we don't have a hope of Jesus Christ in the afterworld, we are all men 
Most miserable. What does the gospel save us from? It saves us from misery. Why would, brothers and sisters, why would Paul jeopardize his life to make sure that people understood to be relieved from the bondage they had from ignorant religion and then be okay with us marrying somebody. Y'all get this. Be okay with us marrying somebody to where there is going to be a possibility that one of the people in your household is going to put them under the bondage of the law that we can't fulfill. That has to be discussed. And you may be saying, brother, you're not our pastor. Why are you saying this? Because the Lord put it on my heart. That's one of the things when he came to me and said, how you doing? Well, I got two thoughts in my mind. I don't want to bring this. Nobody wants to hear the visiting preacher talking about who you should marry. You're welcome. <laughs> We're going back to Ironville. But brother, it's real deal. I've seen it with my eyes. I've seen sisters that love the Lord come to me. 13 years down the line, brother, I have no idea why I married him. But I'm married to him. And, I, and, 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 and we got to work this out. He doesn't love the Lord. He doesn't love the church. But we, help me, show me what to do. And, 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 and she'll say, I know, now I know. I was looking at something beside the Lord whenever I married him. I know now that I was looking at something besides the seeking first the kingdom of God. She says, but I can't change that now. I don't want you to be there 13 years down the road. I don't want you trying to shelter your children from the person you married and their beliefs. You understand what I'm saying? Seek ye first the kingdom of God. And he'll take care of the rest. That's the truth. You see God, look, brothers and sisters, this, this is, I don't understand this new phenomenon in life. All these 18-year-old, godly, good-looking, good sisters are worried about they're not going to find a husband one day. I'm like, girl, <laughs> I was 39 years old. And ugly, and the Lord found me a wife, okay? You're going to be all right. I'm going to tell you, there's worse things than being by yourself. Amen. And that's being married to the wrong person. I mean, that's the truth. That's the truth. And, and you know whenever the Lord brought Lydian into my life? It's whenever I was designed to the fact that it ain't going to be a Mrs. Wisner. There ain't going to be a Mrs. Elder Wisner. You know what I mean by that, okay? There is a Mrs. Wisner in Louisiana called Betty, okay? But, but I'm talking about, there ain't going to be no Mrs. Elder Danny Wisner. And I, and, and I was convinced that's not going to happen. And I was like, it's just me and you, Lord. Me, you, and the church that I pastor, and I'm just going to be married to you and just devote all my love that I can be given to a wife. I'm going to devote that to a church and then the Lord brought Lydia into my life. And it's been such great joy in my life. I'm going to tell you what, that didn't happen until I truly started trying to seek God first and not worry 
about everything else. All right, if you got your Bibles with you. <laughs> you know what? One, one, one good thing about preaching like that sometimes is you send folks, that's one less place you got to worry about going to preach, right? <laughs> I can go there and come to church and just relax, and Brother Stephen ain't going to call on me no more. <laughs> Matthew chapter 1, verse 19. We'll go to verse 18. Let's see what time it is. Now the birth of Jesus was on this wise, when as his mother was espoused to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Ghost. Then Joseph, her husband... Being, by the way, that's the main reason I went here. Being found with child of the Holy Ghost. Do y'all realize the majority of the ministers that's graduating seminary right now don't believe that? The majority of the ministers who are graduating seminary do not believe in the virgin birth of Jesus Christ. If you have no virgin birth of Jesus Christ, you know what that makes Jesus? The same as me and Brother Dusty. The same as me and Brother Stephen. The same as me and Brother Dan. The same as me and Brother Dustin. A sinner. In order to have a sinless body offering sacrifice, you have to have a virgin birth. If you do not believe that Jesus was born of a virgin, you don't believe anything about Christianity. It's got to be. And you know, I'm getting tired of people telling me that the reason they're making these new perversion Bibles is to make it easier for us to read. Y'all know to read the Bible is a fifth grade level? It's a higher level to read those other versions. You know why they're making those other books? You read the NIV, you know what it calls Mary? It don't call her a virgin, it calls her a young maid. They don't want you to understand that Jesus is a perfect lamb offering. Right. Hey, you don't think you, you don't think that there's a reason for why they do what they do? You go and you try to find where most Protestants, y'all might not want to put this on the internet if y'all do stuff like that, but most Protestants use the NIV. Do y'all realize most Protestants have no problem with infant baptism? Right? Y'all know what ain't in the NIV? It just skips a verse. The eunuch asked Peter, asked Philip, over in Acts chapter 8, the eunuch says, here is water. What does hinder me to be baptized? Y'all know what Philip's response is? If thou believest. Y'all know what the NIV does? It skips from the eunuch saying, here is water, what does hinder me to be baptized? And the next thing it says, the eunuch got baptized. It does not say that Philip's response was, if thou believest, thou mayest. And then the eunuch says, I believe that Jesus is a Christ. You know why their Bibles don't say that? Then they, would, they couldn't be able to baptize folks that are infants. 
Because you can't prove that an infant who can't talk believes in Jesus. It says right there, the prerequisite for baptism is belief. You're telling me they didn't take that verse out on purpose? Brothers and sisters, don't let people fool you. And you, do y'all believe in the power of God? And pre- Y'all know why I preach to y'all about that marriage stuff? Because God told me to. And you know what I've learned? When God puts something on my heart, there's a reason for it. I preached on the uh, one, one year when I was pastoring uh, Tippecanoe. One Sunday is on my heart, hard to preach on why we use the King James Version and why we don't use the other perversions. And I'm going to tell you, it was on my heart, hard. And, <laughs> and I preached it hard. And I brought out about John 7. John 7 tells us in the, in the KJV, it says Jesus says He's not going up to the feast yet. And the NIV and those other perversions, it says He ain't going up to the feast. It says that Jesus said He ain't going to the feast. And then guess what Jesus does? He goes to the feast. So in the NIV and those other versions, they make Jesus a liar. The King James Bible says it like it is. Jesus said, I ain't going right now. And then He goes a little later, which ain't right now. And I, and I preach on, on so many places that, that show that the King James Bible is not only superior, but the only English-speaking Bible we should be using. Amen. And, you, and, and I brought out how, how people will try to tell you it's easier, so you need to read this and all this, and kids won't understand it. And little Sister Sarah Davies came up to me with her son Cole and said, go tell Brother Danny. And, I, and he came up, he said, Brother Danny, he said, you ain't going to believe what happened this week. He said, at, at their school, they, they still had a Bible class. And he graduated that Bible class, and, and uh, the teachers were giving them Bibles. And the teachers were checking with each student and asked them, said, which Bible would you like for us to give you now that you graduated this class? And Brother Cole put down King, KJV, King James Bible. And then she came up to him and she said, are you sure? Are you sure you want a King James Bible? You know, they're just so hard to understand. It's amazing to me that people who've got masters and doctorates say that the King James Bible is hard to understand. My daddy dropped out of school in ninth grade. He was 18 years old. Obviously, school wasn't his thing. Okay? At 65 years of age, he read the King James Bible in eight months. Quit telling people, quit letting people tell you that the Bible's too hard to understand. Okay? High school dropout, 65 years old, reads King James Bible, eight months. He's dyslexic. Don't, don't let people tell you that. Anyway, he, he comes and tells me the very same Sunday that I preach on this. He says, this happened this week. He says, she tells me, are you sure you want this Bible? It's too hard to understand. You sure you don't want an NIV or this or that or the third? And he said, no, this is what I want. And then she emails Sister Sarah and says, hey, Cole says he wants a King James Bible. I just want to make sure that you really don't want me to get him an NIV. And you know what Sister says? I love pastoring her. Man, she was so awesome to pastor. She, 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 she sent an email back and she said, 
Paul told me what he told you, and I was so proud of him. <laughs> we would be quite happy with a King James Version Bible. Amen. But I thought it was so, that's just God, right? I preached on why we use it, and that was the one week in his life where he had to defend it. And, she, and we all knew that God was in that. Amen. I'm going to tell you, brothers and sisters, you need to be praying that God would give Brother Stephen and Brother Gary and the other ministries you listen to messages for you and that you would understand that was for you. And whenever it steps on your toes, you say, thank you, Lord. Amen. Instead of saying, Brother Steve, why'd you say that? <laughs> Man, people act like there wasn't no Jeremiah in the Bible. Jeremiah said exactly what God told him to say and people threw him in a pit and said, shut up! Now this is whenever you're speaking the words of God, guess who ain't going to like it? The flesh! The spirit! The flesh lusts against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. Your flesh is never going to like what God tells you to do. So I wanted to go to the 18th verse. Just to prove to you how important the virgin birth is. Now we we gotta speed along here. When Jesus was born, let's go to the second chapter. We're all over the place this morning, but trust so the Lord. Now when Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold there came wise men. How many? I don't know. Don't Bible don't say. There came <laughs> I gotta tell this. <laughs> Y'all met my dear bride, right? She loves to interact in service, right? And one one time before we got married, her pastor was preaching. And uh I wasn't her pastor time we weren't married yet, she hadn't moved it. And her pastor was preaching. And and he says, How many wise men was there? And she's like, Three! And he was like, no, we don't know. <laughs> and she was like, quit asking questions. <laughs> she didn't say that. But then, but, then, but then she calls me right after, and she's like, how many wives are more, was it? I was like, I don't know. I know there was at least two, and there could have been two million. I have no idea. I know there were men, wise men. Now when Jesus, but that's also a good example, brothers and sisters, of how little subtle things that the world teaches can creep into our belief system. How many of us, if we weren't taught by our pastors or, or by our parents, how many of us, if we just listened to the world and we said, how many wise men was there? Would we say three? There's not a single Bible verse for it. So where do we get that thought process from? The world. We need to understand how easy the world can teach us stuff. I'm going to tell you, it teaches us stuff through these stupid movies. <laughs> anyway, don't even get me started on <laughs> Now when Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, there came wise men from the east to Jerusalem, saying, where is he that is born king of the Jews? He is already king. For we have seen his star in the east and are come to worship him. When Herod the king had heard these things, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. 
And when he had gathered all the chief priests and scribes of the people together, he demanded of them where Christ should be born. And they said unto him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written by the prophet, And thou, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, art not the least among the princes of Judah, for out of thee shall come a governor that shall rule my people Israel. That's prophecy of Jesus Christ. Then Herod, when he had privily called the wise men, inquired of them diligently what time the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search diligently for the young child. And when, he, and when ye have found him, bring me word again, that I may come and worship him also. When they had heard the king, they departed, and lo, the star which they saw in the east went before them, till it came and stood over where the young child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceeding great joy. I'm going to tell you, whenever you get to where Jesus is, <laughs> I'm not talking about whenever you accept Jesus in your heart, but I'm going to tell you, whenever we get to the house of the Lord where we trust to see Jesus, we should rejoice. Right. Oh, brothers and sisters, how many times have I took for granted the house of God? Y'all realize the very name of the house of God is the house of God? Because that's where you see God at. Man, we have a place to go that's called the house of God. Yay! <laughs> where y'all going? We're going to the movies. We're going to see Bruce Springsteen. We're going to see Tom We're going to see God. We're going to the house of God. And when they were coming to the house, they saw the young child with Mary, his mother, and fell down and worshipped him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented unto him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned of God in a dream that they should not return to Herod, they departed into their own country another way. And when they were departed, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream, saying, Arise, take the young child and his mother, and flee into Egypt, and be thou there until I bring thee. And be thou there until I bring thee word, for Herod will seek the young child to destroy him. So main thing that I want to look at here is the gifts that the wise men brought Jesus. Now, have you ever pondered and considered why the wise man brought these gifts? From a practical, natural standpoint, I believe that they brought them gifts because Joseph is about to find out very abruptly that he's about to have to leave Israel with the rest of the Jews and go into Egypt. And Egyptians, from a historical view, did not really like Jews. It might be hard for him to find a job when he get there. That might be a little supposition, but I don't think it's too much. And they just brought uh, uh, Joseph and his wife Mary. They just brought them gold. I ain't got to sit here and labor to you the value of gold, do I? It's gold. <laughs> Frankincense. By the way, in a land where they didn't have showers, they didn't have Axe body spray, they didn't have uh, Armani to wear, Frankincense, which smells really good, was very valuable. And myrrh, which is very valuable. They brought them 
three, it says treasures. They brought them three precious, expensive treasures, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And this man is about to have to move his family from Israel to Egypt and he's not going to have a job when he first gets there. They're going to need this stuff from a practical sense. I think that's one of the reasons that the Lord sent these men with these precious things. But I'm going to tell you, brothers and sisters, uh, the Bible teaches us about things pointing to Jesus Christ. And I believe that that gold and that frankincense and that myrrh was pointing us to who Jesus really is. Have you ever thought about why they brought Him gold? Have you ever thought about why they brought Him frankincense? Have you ever thought about why they brought Him myrrh? I want to tell you, all three of those gifts represent who Jesus Christ is. What does king? What does the gold represent? It represents He's the King. He's the King. Kings have gold. And I want to tell you, brothers and sisters, y'all know what our religion, what our doctrine, what everything we believe hinges on? That Jesus is the King. What does, uh, one of my favorite verses in the Bible, Brother Gary, Isaiah 52 and 7, it talks about the message that the gospel minister should be bringing uh, on the, on the uh, how, how beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him that bringeth forth good tidings that publisheth. I'm going to tell you, if you publish something, it already exists. My sister wrote a book. It was published after it was written. I'm going to tell you, they're publishing salvation. For them to publish salvation, salvation has to already exist. But you know what it says their message is? It says their message is, you go read Isaiah 52 and 7, Thy God reigneth. Y'all know... What one of the first things was that helped me understand the truth? To understand the everlasting love of God. You say, what does it have to do with thy God reigning? I want to tell you, some of the things that I hear people asking about God, people who are supposed to be Christians, people who are supposed to be believers, I'm like, are you serious? That's what God means. They're like, do you think God knows everything? He's God! Do you think God has all power? He's God! And then theologians want to be smart and be like the omnipotence of God. That just means he's all powerful. You know, the omniscience of God. That means he knows everything. The omnipresence of God. That means he's everywhere. I'm going to tell you, I get mad whenever I hear people using big words that ain't in the Bible to teach the people who's supposed to be studying the Bible. I'm not going to tell you to get a degree in English to understand my preaching. But I'm going to tell you, if God has all power and He loves you with an everlasting love, what hinders Him from saving you? Y'all know what the message, the rejoicing message, the good news message is that that the minister is supposed to be bringing To the little child of God, thy God reigneth. The one you feel in your bosom, the one who is your father. 
I'm going to tell you the word of God says, as a father pitieth his children, so doth the Lord pity them that fear him. I'm going to tell you fathers out here this morning, if you had all power to keep your child out of jail, wouldn't you do it? If you had all power to keep your child from having a car accident, wouldn't you do it? If you had all power to keep the worst thing in the world from happening to your child, wouldn't you do it? I'm going to tell you, God is better. And I don't have to, have, I don't have to ask the question if He had all power. Because the Bible says He reigns. Man, isn't that good news? I'm going to tell you, if I read the Bible and it said Betty Wisner reigns, <laughs> I got 10 swimming pools. Y'all understand what I'm saying? My mama loves me. I'm going to tell you, whenever I understood that the King of Kings has an everlasting love that will not end for His people, I understood that we were secure. Does that make sense? The Bible says that there is not a thing in this world that can separate you from the love of God. You know why? Because He has all power. That's what the gold represents. Let me go to one other place to talk about Him being the King and I'm going to have to speed preach for a second. See, the only time I'm ever fast is behind the pulpit. <laughs> <laughs> Thankful my wife didn't amen that. She's always trying to rush me in the morning. John 17. I need to be rushed in the morning, by the way. I'm not. I'm not. <laughs> she, she keeps me on time for work. John 17. These words spake Jesus and lifted up his eyes to heaven. I want us to look at exactly what this is saying here. And said, Father, the hour is come. Glorify thy Son, that thy Son also may glorify thee. As thou hast given him power over all flesh, that he should give eternal life to as many as thou hast given him. I want you to understand what the second verse of John 17 says. It says, as thou hast given him, the him there is Jesus, the him there is the Son of God, the him there is God's Son. He says, as thou hast given him... He's saying, you have given me power over all flesh. And then it tells us the reason that he has this power. That he should give eternal life to as many as thou hast given him. He's saying, you have given me power over people. Over all flesh, over people so that I am able to give eternal life to all your people. So when people say that we can reject God's salvation, when people say we can reject God's eternal life, I'm going to tell you this verse says, even if you could, God gave Jesus power over you so that he would give it to you. You know why? Because he reigns. Do y'all realize whenever this country was founded, more people believed like us than that didn't? And y'all know why? Because they didn't have a president. 
They didn't have a house of representatives. They didn't have senators. Y'all know what they had whenever they came from England? They had a king. And if the king said that you're going to the church of England, guess where you're going? To the church of England. If the king said off with your head, guess where your head's going? It's going off. I want to tell you, those people understood the sovereignty of God because they lived in a sovereignty. And they understood what it meant to have a king. I want you to say, we got a king. And the good news is, he loves you and he's taking you to heaven. And whenever those wise men brought that gold, they were showing us that Jesus is king. And so what does the frankincense represent? The frankincense represents the fact, y'all know what they use frankincense for? To make sacrifices, to make offerings, to burn incense unto God. And the frankincense represents that Jesus Christ is the perfect high priest. And it also represents that he's the perfect offering. The Bible tells us over in Romans, over in Hebrews chapter 9, that those other high priests, every time that they would make an offering that never took away sin, that they would have to make an offering for themselves because they were sinners, and then make an offering for the people. But those offerings never took away sin, or they would have to, or they wouldn't have to keep doing them. That makes sense, right? But it says that Jesus. Because he's perfect. Him being the perfect high priest, without any spot, without any blemish, he didn't have to make an offering for himself. And y'all go read Hebrews 10. It's one of the most... Here, we'll go there real quick. To me, talking about high priest and offering, it's some of the most beautiful language in the Bible. I love it. And it defends what we believe as well. We'll just start in the first verse. For the law having a shadow of good things to come and not the very image of the things can never with those sacrifices which they offered year by year continually make the comers thereunto perfect. For then would they not have ceased to be offered. Because that the worshippers once, once purged should have had no more conscience of sins. But in, these, in those sacrifices, there's a remembrance again made of sins every year. There's a lot of good preaching there we're just going to skip over. For it is not possible that the blood of bulls and of goats should take away sins. Wherefore, when he said, this is the words of Jesus. This is, he, he's quoting a prophecy of Jesus. Wherefore, when he cometh into the world, he saith, Sacrifice and offering thou wouldest not. But a body has thou prepared me. He's saying this is what Jesus said whenever he came into the world. Sacrifice and offering thou wouldest not. Those sacrifices, those offerings could not take away sins. But a body has thou prepared me. I am the body. I am the perfect sacrifice. I am the true lamb who taketh away sins. And then it says in the sixth verse. And when it says, Thou hast prepared me, he's saying, I, he prepared me, Jesus, me. He is 
The body that was prepared. He is the offering that was prepared. And burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin. Thou hast had no pleasure. Then said I, lo, I come. And the volume of the book it is written to me to do thy will, O God. He says, I come to do your will, O God. Above when he says, sacrifice and offering and burnt offerings and offering for sin, thou wouldest not. Neither has pleasure therein which are offered by the law. Then said he, Lo, I come to do thy will, O God. He taketh away the first, that he may establish the second. By the which will? Whose will? God's will. I'm going to think people talk about, thou, it's our will. Look whose will? God's will. By the which will we are sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all. Once for all. And then it goes here. And every priest standing daily, ministering and offering oftentimes the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. But this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever. That's pretty plain. This man, after he offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down on the right hand of God. He offered one sacrifice for sins forever, meaning every sin that he died for, every sin that he offered for is taken away. From henceforth, expecting till his enemies he made his footstool. Now look what it says here. For by one offering, he hath perfected forever them that are sanctified. I'm going to tell you, sanctified means set apart. God before the foundation world set us apart in covenant. I'm going to tell you, whenever Jesus died on the cross, we were set apart by the blood of Jesus Christ. And whenever we are born again, we are set apart. We are sanctified by the Spirit. And there's coming a sweet, beautiful, holy, eternal day when the Lord's coming back from heaven and we're going to be eternally sanctified whenever He comes and He gets us and takes us to glory and He's going to set us apart from the wicked. Those are the ones who are sanctified. But look what it says here. For by one offering He hath perfected forever them that are sanctified. Now, y'all know a lot of our friends, Christian friends, they believe different than we do. And whenever I've talked to some of them and I feel like the Lord was blessing me to talk to them about election and predestination and grace, and, and, and I actually had some people ask me before, and they'll be like, I get it. I get election now. I get predestination now. And then you know what they'll ask me? They'll say, I got one question. How do we get predestinated? <laughs> I get it, though. I understand that because their whole life, they've been taught that the way that they know that they're going to heaven is because they said something or they did something or they believe something. I'm going to tell you, brothers and sisters, there's still a way for you to know that you're going to heaven. You don't have to go, you don't have to believe that other stuff to know that you're going to heaven. Look what it says. He says He has perfected them that are sanctified. He has made us perfect. Everyone that's sanctified, everyone that's set apart, He has made us perfect. And then He says this, if you want to know if you're one of them, look what it says. Where the Holy Ghost also is a witness to us. Y'all know what a witness does? It testifies. I want to tell you. It says where the Holy Ghost also is a witness to us. 
For after that he had said before, This is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, saith the Lord. I will put my laws into their hearts, and in their minds will I write them, and their sins and iniquities will I remember no more. How do I know if I'm sanctified? How do I know if God does not remember my sins and iniquities no more? I'm going to tell you, it's the thoughts of God in your mind. Are the laws of God in your heart? Do you love the Lord? Is there something within you telling you not to do the bad thing, but telling you to do the good thing? Is there something within you that convicts you whenever you do something wrong? Is there something within you that tells you that there's a place called heaven? Is there something within you that tells you that there's really a man who was born of a virgin, who died on a tree, and who's living in heaven right now, whose name is Jesus? I'm going to tell you, if you feel the Spirit of God, you've been sanctified and you're perfected. Amen. That's right. By the great high priest and by the offering of the perfect lamb. And that's what the frankincense represented. They represented that Jesus is not only the priest, but he's the offering. What's the last thing represented? Y'all know how this dog got on my mind? How's it work? And there's this brother there. I'm going to call him a brother. He's a brother in Christ and the blood of Jesus. I can see the Lord in him. And he he's been asking me questions. And, and, and uh, it's funny because he's highly educated. And anyway, we, 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 won't, we won't get it. But uh, well, I'll just say this. Never mind. Right. <laughs> he's a good brother, though. Another day he asked me, he said, uh, do you have a go-to Christmas sermon? I mean, is there, is there one that you just bring it? You know, I'm like, well, we don't talk quite like that, you know. <laughs> you know, I'm just going to bring it, you know. <laughs> and I'm just going to bring the raptors down. And uh, I, said, I said, you know, I said, when I first started preaching, I was just so against people just being traditional just for being traditional. And I said, I was such a contrarian. I might preach on the resurrection on Christmas morning. Yeah. I might, I might preach on Thanksgiving on Christmas morning. I said, I, I might preach on church discipline on Christmas morning. You know, just because I didn't want to be like everybody else. I said, but you know, the Lord had to humble me and listen to the Spirit and I said, but there is, there, there, there is a sermon that does mean something to me whenever you think about the birth of Jesus Christ. And I said, it's the gifts. It's the gifts that the wise men brought to Jesus. There was a purpose for those gifts. There was a reason for those gifts. One was to show us that Jesus is king. Second is to show us that he's the great high priest and he's the offering. He's the perfect lamb sacrifice. I said the fourth one is to show us the importance of his death. And he just kind of looked at me and I said, man, it's all about his death. I said, over in Luke chapter 9, on the Mount of Transfiguration, Whenever Moses and Elijah came from heaven. Isn't that amazing? Moses and Elijah. Like, all, 
Peter and James and John, they weren't special men. They were special men because God chose them and gave them that apostleship. But they weren't any better than you or me by nature. And I'm going to tell you, because of God chose them and they followed the Lord, they got to see Elijah and Moses come down from heaven. And they got to see Jesus turn with this white, glistening beauty. And His face shine like the sun. And they seen Moses and Elijah talking to Jesus. Isn't that amazing? Wouldn't y'all want to see that? And, and it says that Moses and Elijah was talking to Jesus. Wow! Wouldn't you love to know what they were talking about? The Bible tells you what they were talking about. Wouldn't you think the thing that they were talking about would kind of be important? Y'all know what they were talking about? It says that they were talking about the death of Jesus. That He shall accomplish. I want to tell you, the Lord carries whenever I lay down my body and my soul and spirit goes back to God who gave it, my death ain't going to be an accomplishment. My death is going to be a testimony that I was a failure. My death is going to be a testimony that I was a sinner. But I'm going to tell you today that Jesus Christ died. It was an accomplishment. Because He was perfect. He was pure. He was precious. He was a Lamb of God, spotless and without sin. And y'all know how people die? Because of sin. So how did Jesus die? Because Brother Dusty sins. And Brother Dusty and Sister Faze, and Sister Lydia's, and mine, and yours, and yours, was laid upon Jesus. Well, y'all know what the wages of sin is? It's death. And I'm going to tell you, grace is free, but it ain't cheap. Y'all know what murder represented? It represented the death of Jesus Christ. That song I called out, I love the fourth verse. And why did God forsake His Son when bleeding on the tree? He died for sins, but not His own. For Jesus died for me. I'm going to tell you, if you got any tingling in the back of your neck right now, if you ever feel the Holy Ghost goosebumps well up inside of you singing Amazing Grace, or I will arise and go to Jesus, or there is coming a day, that is very evident that Jesus died for you. Go with me one other place. Go with me to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. And we'll end. And I appreciate the good crowd on the Christmas Eve of Christmas Eve. I do. I do. It shows me that y'all are trying to seek you first, the kingdom of God. And by the way, it is very important that we be reminded. It doesn't say seek ye only. It says seek ye first. And I always tell people, I'm trying to seek God first. 
I don't think I ever did. Don't get discouraged whenever you mess up. Just keep on keeping on. Go with me over to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Now, I don't have time to get into the whole context, but you go back and prove what I'm about to say. He's going to tell them not to sleep like dead people do. Y'all know the difference between a dead person and a sleeping person? One's alive. (laughs) But my whole point is this. One's asleep, one's dead. They're both laying there. And the only way you can tell the difference is by action, right? And and, and 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 he's saying, don't lay down like dead people do. He says, you're the day. You're not dead. Don't sleep. You know, little children of God, we can sleep, we can lay down, we can give up. We can be overcome with sin. He's saying, don't do that. And then, and what he's saying is, do the right thing. Sleeping is the wrong thing. And then, this is one of my favorite verses in the Bible. Go me over to the 10th verse. Ninth verse. For God has not appointed us to wrath, but to obtain salvation by our Lord Jesus Christ, who what? Who died for us. That whether we wake or sleep, we should live together with Him. And what that just said is, whether you do the right thing or not, Jesus died for you. That whether we do the right thing or not, we're still going to live forever with Him. Isn't that hallelujah? But brothers and sisters, because He died for you, you know what you and I should be doing? We should be dying for Him. We should be dying daily. I'm going to tell you, brothers and sisters, and, and y'all know this, I'm looking at good spiritual people. I'm looking at people. I'm looking at kids that are nodding their heads. Amen. I love it. I know you know what it feels like to have the peace of God. We need that in our lives. If we lay down, we're going to get bitter. We're going to get lazy. I'm going to tell you, we're not going to be content in this world. We're going to be miserable. But whenever we seek after God, whenever we try to kill this old flesh, we get peace, joy, and righteousness in this world by the Holy Ghost. I'm going to tell you, there ain't no peace like the Holy Ghost peace. Amen? Amen. There ain't no joy. I don't care what you get for Christmas. I'm going to tell you, whenever the Lord fills up the house of God and you just fill Him so thick, there ain't no joy like the Holy Ghost joy. And the only reason we're able to have that is because Christ died for you. I love you and God bless you. Amen.